Well, welcome to the Shaw Vineyard Podcast. I'm Dan, and today we are continuing our Easter message series, which we've called Moments of Colour. We started this last week with Calvin. So if you haven't heard that part of the series, I would encourage you to go back and check that out before we dive into part two. But with that, I want to welcome Vic to the podcast. Hello, sir. Thanks for having me. So good to have you here. So just by way of reminder, Vic is the senior pastor of Shaw Vineyard Church. Can you set us up with this idea of moments of color? What is the idea of this theme? We're so excited about uh, even the title that we've chosen um, because anybody can have a moment of color uh, at any time uh, this Easter. So it may be something that's really big uh, where God just breaks through and does something incredibly sensational. Or it may be just a small idea of a, of a scripture, a thought, um, a growing um, sense. Uh, and we can all look for that, whether we've done a, a five decades of Easter's or whether this is the first Easter that we've got. Because this is one of those things, you know, Easter rolls around every year and it can be so easy if you have done this 5, 10, 20, 50 times that it's like, I know this story and I know what happens and spoiler alert, he rises from the dead at the end. We know where this goes. But yeah, to, to see it as something new and different and experience it in a new way, the idea of this theme. And, and you've got a story about this where you've experienced this almost firsthand, I guess, but it's in the art world. Yes, I... I I'm not an artist at all. I know very little about it. I've avoided it all my life. But over later life, I've had the opportunity of seeing some of the world's best art. And uh, that's a long story in terms of why I ended up there. Um, But I I learned so much about art from an amazing um, painting by a French painter of the 1800s called Jericho. And his painting is called The Raft of the Medusa. And the the issue or the, the amazing thing to me was I learned from a book um, that had this painting as a black and white postcard size painting, uh, maybe five by seven in the old postcard uh, dimensions. And I looked at this and studied it and read about it and I learned as much as anything that I know about art from um, this particular little black and white thing. Then I, I was lucky enough to go to the Louvre in Paris and I discovered that this painting is not a little black and white postcard and I'm not sure how I missed that in my studies but it's not like that but in fact it is a a mammoth painting Uh, it is seven meters wide um, and it's um, five meters tall and it is in full color and so I went from being amazed at a black and white postcard and being amazed that one painting could say so much to being absolutely dumbfounded to see the extent of it and the expanse of it and the wonder of it. And so for me, that was a moment, a, a, a life-changing moment of colour in relation to my knowledge of art. That's It's so good. And so that feeling of something going from black and white and small and, you know, a complete picture, but also seeing more of it, seeing it better, seeing it clearer, that's the idea, I think, of this theme. So with that as some sort of a, a setup or a background, uh, we're going to jump right in to part two of the Moments of Colour series with Vic, kicking off with a story from John 2. So here it is. And it's the story of Jesus arriving in the temple in Jerusalem and cleansing it, cleansing it by by being completely offended by what was happening in the in the temple and overturning tables and doing all sorts of things. It's a it's it's a story that's um in all four of the gospels, which which tends to make you think that it's a really important story, but but probably not an easy story to understand. 
the context of the story is it's the time of Passover. Passover is a really important biblical concept. Passover is the time that the Jews would gather together and they would remember the exodus from Egypt. The second book of the Bible is called Exodus and it's really the whole story of God delivering out of Egypt, out of bondage, the children of Israel and taking them towards the promised land. And they would gather forevermore and they would celebrate that exodus on the Passover. They would celebrate God's deliverance. They would celebrate the freedom that they have. They would celebrate the promise of a better future. It was a time that we would understand because often at Christmas probably more than Easter, but maybe at Easter, sometimes our families will gather. They would gather and it was a time where you could bring perspective to the things that were happening in life at the time. A time of reminding yourself that God was still there even in tough times, and often in biblical times, they were in tough times, sometimes self-inflicted, often self-inflicted, but nevertheless needing to know that God was still there, that He was still loving, that He was still sovereign, that He still had answers, that He was still inviting us into relationship with Him, and they would gather like that. And so in John chapter 2, you have a a famous story. Well, there's both famous stories, but it starts with the famous story of Jesus' first miracle. He turns the water into wine. That's in a place called Cana. And then John catapults Jesus from Cana straight into Jerusalem and straight into the temple, which is a really interesting thing for him to do. He skips other aspects of the Easter story. He skips the arrival in Jerusalem. I want to really encourage you to be reading the Easter story this week, you know, and, and, and walking with it. You know, there are, there are um, apps and, and, and websites where you can go and almost read it day by day. You know, what was happening now? What was happening now? And walking with it. Well, the entry into Jerusalem, the Palm Sunday that happened where, where people sang, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The crowds were coming out. Magnificent sense of Jesus arrival. John skips it completely, takes him straight into the temple. And, and surely not for the first time, Jesus is just incredibly offended by what's happening in the temple. In the temple, they're, they're selling animals for, for, for um, you know, sacrifice and slaughter. Um, the money changers are essentially taking bribes. There's sort of businesses happening. And, and, and the, the reason for being in the temple is being completely thwarted and completely abused. And Jesus, you know, in a, in a, in a strangely uncharacteristic way, it would seem, if we have been to Sunday school Jesus and all of that, he makes a whip. Um, out of cords, and he starts to go around and starts, starts whipping people, it seems, and turning over tables and saying, this is not the way that it's meant to be. It's an incredible story. It's an incredible, um, I don't know, something to wrestle with and come to grips with along the way. There's this uproar happening, and you've got to ask yourself, you know, is this just Jesus, you know, it's not perhaps the Jesus that we often hear preach or we sing in worship, you know, kind of, it'd be great, wouldn't it be a singer song, you know, about Jesus with his whip and stuff like that? We just wouldn't do that. But here is Jesus going through the temple, cleansing the temple, and making a difference in people's lives. So you've got to think, well, is he having an off day? Or is he saying something that we might not immediately recognize? And you've got to think that he's saying something. And tonight we'll share and, 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 and delve into some of those things. One of the things he says during that time, he says, destroy this temple, the temple that they're in, in three days and I will raise it up. Again, a, b- a bizarre statement, a, b- a bizarre action that he's doing. The Jews, of course, they think, destroy this temple. It's like, you know, destroy this church. What do you mean? You're going you're gonna to tear it down and you're going to build it up? And they, they're, they're bemused. They're, they're um, I don't know, insulted in a way. As they say, we've taken 46 years to build this thing. How can you tear it down um, and just build it up again in three days? And, and it says in chapter 20, uh, verse 21 of chapter 2, it says, 
Um, but of course, he wasn't talking about the building. He was talking about his body. And, um, and it says that the disciples, they seem to forget that straight away. But when he died and when he rose again, they remembered that thing. So something was happening in here that they were kind of recognizing but kind of couldn't recognize along the way. And so when you put all of those two things, to, all of those things together, you discover something that tonight we're going to call the Christ Covenant. You discover a new covenant. You discover that God is doing something new and Jesus is prophetically enacting something that God is about to do right here at the beginning of this, what is going to become the Holy Week. And it's a covenant, the Christ covenant, a covenant that we're invited to receive. So what's a covenant? It's not really a particularly modern word, is it? Um, it's probably in some legal documents. If you've ever signed legal documents, you'll, you'll see covenants on things. You may have heard of it in wedding ceremonies because weddings are, are often the, you know, kind of the most serious commitments that we make to each other in a modern day and age. And so you might have heard those words. Essentially, it's a contract, but a, but a really, really serious contract. Um, the Old Testament translation to English is more, uh, another old-fashioned word is a bond. A contract is a bond. We make, a, we make an ironclad commitment to each other. And in the Old Testament, you have, you have lots of covenants that come and go between God and His people. So God would say, you know, I'm going to do this if you will do this. And His people would say, yes, we'll do this because we want the benefit. And of course, it never worked out because God's people were never faithful to their part of the great plan. And we would understand that pr- probably, um, you know, because we know that we're, we're not particularly faithful people sometimes either. And so the covenant showed much promise. So to Noah, um, God made a promise, made a covenant. He said, I'll never flood the earth again. So it was a, the Noahic co- covenant. Um, to Abraham, he said, you're going to be a blessing to the nations. Children of Israel are going to be a blessing to the nations. It's God, God's covenant, Genesis chapter 12. Um, in Sinai and to Moses, the Mosaic covenant, sometimes we call it, he said, you know, all of these good things are going to happen, and here's what's going to happen. I will be your God, and you will be my people. There will be just this perfect balancing act of security and freedom and all these things that I'm going to be there for you if you'll keep your side of the covenant. The Davidic covenant, he says, you know, I'm going to build you an everlasting house. And so the covenant always promised much, but delivered little because of humanity, because of people, because of us, because I don't think we're any better, because of our inability, our fatal, in a sense, predisposition to turn away from God, this thing that is within us, to look the other way, to not be doing the things that we said to God. So in the middle of this conundrum, in the middle of this difficult situation where you've got a faithful God but an unfaithful people, the prophet Jeremiah speaks, and he speaks for God, and he says, the days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, the Exodus we've talked about, because they broke my covenant though I was a husband to them. You know, God has made this most intimate and faithful commitment and been faithful to it, but they broke it. This is the covenant I'll make with the people of Israel. After that time, I'll put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Again, a repeat of that Mosaic covenant. This is what God's heart is, that He would be our God and that we would be His people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sin no more. And so Jeremiah is seeing that there's going to be something that is going to replace the covenants at the moment that aren't working um, because of humanity's um, frailties and, and um, 
and inability to keep them. So we fast forward to that. We fast forward through the 400 years between the end of the Old Testament, the arrival of Jesus, the Christmas time, the 30 years of his upbringing, the three years of his ministry, and we come to the last week of the life of Jesus. That's the week that we're in at the moment. And not long after this incident in the temple, Jesus is with his disciples in a place that's called, or we now call the upper room. And he's having what's going to be the last supper. Uh, You may have heard that as a term with them. And you have this incredibly pivotal um, period where Jesus begins to talk about what's happening now, what he's going to be doing. And he says this in Luke chapter 22, 14 to 20. He says, and when the hour had come, or it says, he reclined, Jesus reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover, the Passover, so it's a Passover meal that he's doing with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, and this is what he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Very powerful thing. We have communion as a church. We're going to talk about communion over the next you know, five or ten minutes, and then we're going to have communion together. And one of the emblems of communion, as I'm sure you'll know, and most of you will know, is bread goes right back into the upper room of Jesus breaking bread. What I want you to do just as I continue to speak is I want to just um, hand out sort of half a loaf each, and I just want you to take your communion bread and pass it on, pass it on, pass it on right to the back so that everybody has it, and then, um, and then we will work with it from there. So can I just, can you just take that half and, and then um, and just take yourself and then just move it on from there? And if you can do the same. That would be fantastic. It's a little bit different to take the whole thing. That would be fantastic. And as you do, you might like to think, this is my body. This is the body of Christ which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he goes on and he says, and likewise the cup after that eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. This is the Christ covenant, the new covenant that we're talking about. So he says, the old is gone. You know, the, the temple is now clean. Uh, all of the uh, sort of, um, I don't know, the aberrations that were happening, the abhorrent things that were happening, they have now gone. The money changes are gone. Now we have an opportunity to start something new. And he says the new has come, and the new is being introduced through a bo- broken body, broken bread, and, and the shed blood, uh, the communion juice that we're going to have because we remember the thing that's happening at that time. The covenant between God and humankind is now going to be kept. It's not going to be a problem anymore because God has become humankind. This is the, this is the essence of what we're going to be celebrating tonight and this week. No longer are we going to break outside of the bond because Jesus has kept it for us. We were unable to, but Jesus has kept it and is keeping it and will keep it. I know that it's past tense, but I love the sense that he is keeping it. He's here for us, keeping it, bringing us back into relationship with God and the promises He will continue to keep it. It's a wonderful freedom that we have, but bought with a ghastly price, which is Jesus' death on the cross. And if you've seen an Easter-type movie, you will know know, some of the the horror of the cross 
that Jesus was willing to do. I was sort of trying to think about it. What, what does it look like to, um, I, I, I don't know, to, to move on from something that didn't work anymore? And, and the best example I could think of as I, as I thought it through was the whole idea of when we learn to walk. You know, each and every one of us, when we started out our life, started out as, as just a baby lying on our back and, and pretty much unable to do anything. But we discovered that it was fun to roll and, and, and actually being on your front was probably a bit better and fun to get up because you could see the world a bit better and then fun to get up a bit more. And then one day, you know, with the help of our parents and the encouragement of our parents and the, and the inspiration of those around us, we were, we were encouraged and brought forward into this thing that we call walking, living um, on two feet, living um, kind of a, the way that we do. And, you know, there's not a single one of us who would be able... In the, in the efficiency or the way that a baby could is to get down on our knees and to crawl like a baby anymore. We'd be able to do some sort of a way of it. But we, we leave behind, we left behind the thing that didn't serve us as well as it seemed to. We were able to grow, we were able to develop. It's not a perfect illustration, but it seemed to me like it was something that we, we would be able to, to, to at least contemplate as we go through Easter um, uh, this year. And so this Christ covenant replaces all the other covenants. This Christ covenant completes all the other covenants. This Christ covenant is once and for all. You know, you're never going to go back to crawling when you've learned to walk because it's a much better way of living. And this is what Jesus has done for us. But we need to receive it and we need to act on it. But we need to receive it. We have to receive it and receive it and receive it. And you're holding it symbolically in your hands now. We need to receive it. So what do we, what do we receive in the, in the new um, incarnation or in the new covenant? Because the crowds at that Palm Sunday, they didn't receive much. They were, they were, there, for the, they were there for the event. Um, it was probably an amazing event. Probably their hearts swelled, but they were missing a, a week later or, or less than a week later when it came along. What do we receive when we receive Jesus? Well, one of the things we receive is what we call salvation. The most powerful Easter verse so far for me, you know, this is a moment of color for me, you know, that I've been working with and thinking about this week, is John chapter 13, verse 1. This is what it says. Jesus, having loved the disciples right to the end, that's in the message, having loved the disciples right to the end. In the Amplified Bible, it says, having loved the disciples to the last and the highest degree, you know, left nothing, held nothing back. This Jesus, a moment of color, uh, NIV, to, to having loved to the full extent of his love. This is what he did for me, a moment of color. And we get to receive the salvation of God, the knowledge that our sins are forgiven, the knowledge that we're living under a new covenant. What an amazing thing that that's worth celebrating on Easter Sunday, even though we go through kind of the darkness of, of Good Friday. So we get to receive. What else do we do? We get to receive a new relationship with God. You know, I don't know um, these days because this is a mainly younger congregation. When I first became a Christian, you were given key verses that you, uh, you were advised at least to learn by heart. Galatians 2.20, if you've never learned a verse, this is just a fantastic verse for you to know and to be aware of. I have been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. I've been crucified with Christ. What does that mean? Explore that this week. What does that mean? And it's no longer I that lives, but it is Christ who lives in me. I'm invited to receive a new relationship with God. 
That's what Easter does for me. What do we receive? We receive a new way of living. Another one of those early verses that I learned, you know, um, in my first weeks probably as a Christian, 2 Corinthians 5.21, He took him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. He took him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. We receive a new way of living. So the old law, the laws, and you'll be aware of it, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. And if you do, then you get smitten. Or No, not smitten, smited. It's not smitten, you're not in love, are you? It's, like, yeah, it's kind of a scary one. You get smote, I don't know, whatever the, whatever the past tense of that is. So, and so we understand that. And, and, and actually it's not a bad way to live. But the new law says, I'm going to put in your minds and I'm going to write on your heart. And so who would want to take that bread and drink that cup and, and, and tomorrow be an abusive parent or tomorrow be, a, I, I don't know, a, a, you know, a person who, who undermines somebody's character in life? Who would want tomorrow to do a dishonest business deal or to lie and cheat or, you know, kind of to, you know, to, I don't know, cross moral barriers or whatever, whatever it is that you think? Who would want to do that when you have this new way of living, this new way of life that Jesus has invited to us? So we can, we can go to the old and say, do that and it's going to be bad for you. Or we can go to the new and say, because I have this life within me, because Jesus has given me this life, I have found a new way of living and I'm going to live it because Christ is inside of me. What a wonderful thing to become the righteousness of God in Christ. We don't go back to walking, you know, uh, we don't go back to crawling, sorry. We continue to walk. What do we receive? Well, we receive forgiveness. Forgiveness is a big deal. It's a really big deal. For some people, it's really hard to believe that you're forgiven. And, and, you know, just statistically, there are bound to be people here tonight who struggle with this whole idea of how could God forgive me because I'm such a terrible person on the inside. The story of Easter is the story of freedom and the story of life that you are forgiven and you can trust God for his forgiveness. This is what Jesus has done for you. I remember sort of thinking when I, was, um, when I was a new Christian that God could not forgive me or would not forgive me. He seemed to forgive everybody else but not me. And, and, and this guy said to me, he said, you know, if, if you're like that, it's like you're saying that what he did was wasted. You know, that he, that he if, if he can't forgive you, then he can't forgive anyone. And for me, that was real life. And if that's you tonight, I want to pass that on because it's, it's, it's a freedom for me nearly 40 years later. It's a free, still a freedom for me to know that. So N.T. Wright, sort of the, the great scholar of the modern time, or one of the great scholars, he said, Jesus took the worst the world could do and came out on top. And somehow in the middle of that, he took everything we've done and did away with it. And when we eat the bread and when we drink the wine from that cup, that's what we celebrate, forgiveness. It's amazing. And it is amazing. It is amazing. And then we receive each other. And I think this is really important. We receive unity, maybe you could say. You know, from the first generation of the church, Christians would eat and drink together. Often it was meals, you know, kind of fuller meals, even like the Passover meal. And sometimes it was brought down to symbols, even what we're doing today. They would eat and drink together. Why would they do that? Because eating and drinking together is something of, of, of a, a universal symbol of us, um, I don't know, of us being one, of us of us um, embracing, of us opening our, our hearts and lives. And the New Testament would say some incredibly radical things. They may not seem so radical today, but they would say things like, 
there is no longer male or female. Now, clearly it wasn't saying that as a biological thing. It was saying there is no longer male or female in Christ because we're all equal in Christ. You know, kind of for those of you who are female, you may feel like you're still not equal in certain things. But 2,000 years ago, the gospel was saying that it was. So we've got, we've got ground still to make up, you know, perhaps particularly as men, but we've got ground to make up. But, but Jesus has done it. There's no longer slave nor free. You're neither a slave nor a free person. You know, kind of, again, that's very much in context. But all of a sudden, slave and free could be crossing over from side to side and sitting next to each other, Jew or Greek, different nationalities, different, different races. All of that was done away with. Where was it done away with? With the broken body and the shed blood bringing us together. And we're called and invited to receive that. And so, you know, we continue to have difficulties, don't we? Because although there's no longer male or female, there's still strife that happens. Because there's no, no longer Jew or Greek or different, there's still strife that happens. But Paul would always come back to the table and say, there we are together. And so he said in 1 Corinthians 10, 17, we who are many are one bread, one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Talk about a moment of color. Talk about the power of the gospel to turn your life upside down and never to be the same again. It's just incredible. And so we come to communion tonight. And for you, this might be the first communion I've had, or you may have had many communions along the way, and, and it doesn't matter in some way. I, um, I was at a, a, an International Vineyard Conference at the end of last year, and there's a guy there called David Ruiz, and in the, in the 1990s, which is a long time ago, he was, he was a world-leading worship leader and, and songwriter. And now he's the um, National Director of the Vineyard in Canada. So, I mean, he's a very significant Christian voice, particularly in our movement. And he, he was there worship leading at this international missions conference that I was at. And he made this incredible statement, and I'll unpack it for you. He said, we have made the center the stage. So what does that mean? It means we have made the center our worship, and the vineyard, kind of number one priority in the vineyard is worship, if you, if you have a look. Um, we have made the center the stage, which is our worship, and our preaching. Those are the things that we do from the stage. And he said, that's a really bad center. And I mean, that, that in a vineyard context is a huge thing to say. He said, our center is the table. Our center is the cross. Our center is communion and, and, and how we connect with what Jesus had done. And boy, Easter is a centering moment for us to know and to receive. You know what? When we break bread and drink wine together, we tap into an unbroken line of 2,000 years of church history right back to Jesus in the upper room. In the upper room, sitting around with Jesus, this is what we're going to do tonight. We are going to gather with Jesus, and we're going to eat a symbol of his broken body and of his shed blood, just like it would have been in terms of him giving these cups and giving this bread and saying, this is my body, take it and eat. This is my blood, take it and drink. The pouring out of the new covenant, we're going to be inviting the new covenant to grow in us and to be. We're going to be receiving um, in the context of tonight, the new covenant. And it links us right from that moment through church history and all of the ups and the downs to today, when this week, the churches of all different ilks, all different theologies even, all different persuasions and looks are going to gather around this table and they're going to say, this is the Jesus who we agree is the one who has, who has won this for us. But we need to receive it.
my very favorite sentence of this week, um, you know, kind of written by somebody apart from that John 13 scripture. My favorite sentence of this week is N.T. Wright, who, who I read his book on communion this week. He said, you can sit anonymous, anonymously in church and hear scripture in a sermon. And so far tonight, that's exactly what you've done. Not your fault, not, it's nobody's fault at all. You can sit anonymously in church and hear the scripture read, which we've read it tonight faithfully, and hear a sermon preached, which we've done, or um, a worship set that we have done. You can do that, and you can do that anonymously, but you have to receive and eat the bread for yourself. You have to receive and eat the communion and drink the cup for yourself. And that is a moment of color. That is an opportunity to connect in a whole new and different way, whether it's the thousandth time you've done it or the first time you've done it, whether it's as big as a big as a picture that you thought was this big but turned out to be the size of the building, or whether it's just a little verse or a little idea or a little thought and leading that you have for the week, it's a moment of color and an invitation. So let's stand and invite the presence of God to be here as we eat and drink together. Sorry that the bread's probably pretty musty now. You can go and take a new piece if you really want to. So God, we hold a symbol of your body. And in one sense, we just know that it's plain old bread. But in another sense, we know that there is a profundity and a power, yes, and a, and a sense of your presence in this piece of bread that represents something that is life-changing, that is transformative, that will make so many things that we don't know not even matter or give us answers for those. And so tonight, as a first step into a week that the church calls Passion Week, where the passion is, it talks about the suffering of Jesus rather than a zeal, and that the church also calls Holy Week, but at the beginning of a journey that we're invited to, to look for moments of color and to hear your voice, we pray, Lord God, that you would, that you would take this moment and that we would take this moment and that we, you would give and we would receive. And we thank you for those things in Jesus' name. Oh, I am just loving this Moments of Color series. And, you know, I would love to hear from you about this as well. You can email us anytime you want, sure, at svc.org.nz or feel free to reach out through Facebook and Instagram. Tell us about your moment of color and, of course, your comments on the series. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, still here with Vic, uh, who you just heard on the podcast. And Vic, there's a part of that message where you say that this this new thing that, that Jesus was setting up was like going from crawling to walking. This, you know, this was a progression. And there's a, a bit of a tension there because sometimes going for, going for the next thing can be scary and that is not something that, that a lot of people are really that into. And you are included in that. Yes, I think <laughs> we're not really wired for it, are we? And so I, I liked it. Every illustration has its um, uh, moments of weakness, of course. Um, but I like the idea of, of a baby crawling um, or grow, even learning to crawl and then being able to walk from there. And you never go back to that. And when we talked about the Christ covenant, this whole idea of 
not going back to the thing that didn't really serve us all that well. Um, for me, another illustration that I sometimes think about is my uh, tension that I have with uh, modern technology. Um, I'm not an early adopter. I'm uh, uh, I'm a reluctant changer. I, I journalist in, in background. I opposed in my newspaper office the buying of our first fax machine, for goodness sake. Um, I went to a seminar on email and I couldn't figure out how that would ever, how that would ever take off. <laughs> no one's off. ever so, going to use this. Why should I bother? Nobody's going to listen to this podcast, are they, to actually hear me <laughs> confess all these things, I, I, I hope, I feel. Um, and yet every time, once somebody has, when, when I got delivered the fax machine, I used it all the time. And when, once I had uh, email coming in, I could see the magic of it. Um, to go from I don't know uh, floppy disks to um, to a hard drive or, or, or to a, um, a Windows based machine to apps to yeah. all of the things that that I now have that I've been introduced to, and each time recognizing hey this is better than we had before what was before wasn't so bad but this is so much better, so again it falls down because the the Christ covenant is is the ultimate so it doesn't need any upgrades it doesn't need any new technology or anything like that but nevertheless it is a little helpful from my point of view at least to think you know where you started is not where god wants to take you and he wants to develop you and grow you you know hence the focus on the christ covenant but also the focus on a moment of color um you know this easter jesus is inviting us into a new relationship mm. and a growing relationship with him it's so funny the you know, and I, I just heard you say this phrase, you know, we are wired to feel that tension. We're wired to not really enjoy adop adopting the new thing. Because um, I, I think that's totally true. You know, whenever yeah. there is a new thing that comes along, we, we seem to want to, to settle. It's like where I am is good enough and yes. good enough is good enough. Yes. So so why do you think that is? And, and what do you think we can do practically to go, actually, no, I, I need to go for yeah. that next thing. I need to see more of Jesus. I need to seek more of what he's looking for and not just settle for where we are. Yeah, I think um, there's sort of all sorts of sociological reasons, I'm sure, why people are reluctant to go, although there are, of course, pioneers and early adopters, as they talk about, who are they're the ones who are, who are outside the Apple store for 24 <laughs> hours sleeping and freezing over something that's probably not much better than the one that they had. So the people who roll their yeah, eyes, uh, people like you, who go, what do you mean you're still using a floppy disk? Come exactly on, get, so, with, the, get exactly with the program. So. And slowly, slowly we catch up. So so there are people, uh, we could say, are they prophetic? Are, are they, they're leading us forward and and that's not a bad thing and right at the back of that queue are the late adopters and I, I don't call myself that because I eventually I do catch up so we are somehow wired for that for comfort for for maybe not addressing things that aren't entirely um, uh, as they could be so uh, that I think that's a shame and it's a shame in terms of faith as well because we can uh, find ourselves hitting a plateau and not being willing to kick on again, not being willing to sell the farm again, not being willing to make the same sacrifices as we made previously. And I suppose when you come to Holy Week, when you come to Easter Week, what better week of the year, what better day of the year, what better moment uh, in our history is it to again come face to face with a loving God who died for us, who who made a better way, and invites us into continued and ongoing and growing relationship with him. That's so good. And I, I'm loving this conversation. So can you think of a practical next step for someone who wants to seek more, who wants to go further? 
can you think, hey, here's something that you could start today or here's something that you could start next week. Here's a, a book you should read or a, um, a, a person you should talk to, a conversation you should have. What, what would you say to, to that person who's like, yep, I, 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 I feel that that's me, that you know, my faith, my, my walk with God's been the same for the last 15 years, but this year I want to be a year where I, I have a moment of color. Yeah, I think um, my, my current flavor of the month hunch would be um, to read the Easter story in, a, in almost a chronological order of the week that it happened um, and, to, and to enter the story in a sense, to feel it, to, to, um, to grow with it, to experience it somewhat with the people who walked through it. Um, you know, if it, if it was in our time, we would probably be singing Hosanna on one side and maybe denying Jesus at the end of the week. That's a very sobering concept. It was just people like you and me mm. in their fallibility and their humanness and Jesus showing greater love than that. So entering into the story and thinking it's actually part of my week rather than a historic, abstract, um, almost disconnected thing. And I think the other thing for me is just a new discovery of communion and what it means, of of um, the bread and the wine and, and Jesus' sacrifice and his, the prophetic nature of that Last Supper. And when we take communion, which we'll all do maybe this Easter, because most of us who would listen to this podcast will go to church at Easter because we're wired that way. Um, but we enter the, we enter the the, the upper room. We, we enter the room that Jesus was breaking bread and sharing and saying, this is the new covenant that's going to happen. And we enter the history of the church, which has followed that through for the next 2,000 years. And we join with all of the other believers around the world who will be doing exactly the same thing in different languages and different denominations, different theologies. But we're all gathered as one in that and to allow that to blow your mind all over again. I, I can after, after 35, 40 years, I, I can barely begin to understand how enormous that is. That would be a moment of color. That is so good. Well, again, thanks for taking some time and, and being on the podcast and for you know being a part of this series. We are halfway through, but really the, the last two parts of the, the series are going to happen in fairly quick succession. We've got two gatherings. If you're listening to this uh, during Easter week of 2018, we'd love to invite you to Shaw Vineyard this coming Friday night for our Good Friday service. We haven't done one of these for a little while, so it'd be great to have you join us for that if you can. Or on Easter Sunday morning, 10 o'clock, uh, you could join us and uh, bring your family, bring, bring friends and neighbors and People will come to church on Easter, just like Christmas, if if they are invited or when they are invited. So be bold this week and invite them to that. If you are a regular podcaster, if you are someone who's going to be away for the weekend or, or you can't uh, be here live in person, we're going to try our very best to get uh, each of those messages in the next part of this series out to you as close as possible after it's happened. So you'll be able to tune in and, and hear that. So uh, if you haven't already, hit subscribe to this podcast so you can get those straight away wherever you are. And with that, thanks again, Vic, and we will see you next time. Thank you, Dan. So pleased to be part of it. 